Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or the property. It's the location and neighborhood, Dalton. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when we say in-depth, we're talking deep in-depth. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, a home, this is everything you need to know all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. The Dale Jr. Download is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. You going to any concerts this summer, man? I am. I'm seeing a concert in June. Hardy and Kit Moore. Love Hardy. In uh, Charlotte. I was so stressed getting the tickets. I'm going to be front row. I'm, I'm in the pit. When these tickets go out, man, I am online as soon as tickets open. I don't want to miss a thing. Yeah, you, you know, you got to act quick. Yes. And when you want the best, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. It's like if you're hiring for a business, you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. Mm. So what's the best way to do that? Zip Recruiter. ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates fast, and right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash DaleJr. ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. Amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash Dale Jr. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash Dale Jr. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. The following is a production of Dirty Mo Media. Talking about Dale Earnhardt, he's one of the declared candidates running for Rookie of the Year this year. And we talked to him in the garage area and he had this to say. What's your strategy? Well, you know, it's about 500 miles to race there and we're just going to go there and run and try to stay with the leaders and run hard. Then, you know, I'm going to run comfortable. If, I, if it's running comfortable is in the lead, that's where I'll be, but, you know. Well, if comfortable is in the lead, then that's where I'll be. Those are pretty confident words for a guy who has less than two dozen NASCAR Cup starts to his name. But then again, after winning in his first trip to Bristol and nearly beating the King at his own game in front of the hometown crowd, it's no wonder that Dad was brimming with the confidence of a seasoned veteran. Dad's progression through the world of auto racing was incredible. His early season success had him on the radar of every press member and broadcaster in NASCAR and in the crosshairs of the rest of the NASCAR garage. But how long could this 28-year-old with limited experience hold up under the pressure? Would the rush to return to Victory Lane bring about desperation? Or would the desperation turn into reckless aggression? I'm Dale Hart Jr. And in this episode of Becoming Earnhardt, we continue our journey through the 1979 season, unpacking races 14 through 19. During this stretch, Dad's going to continue to impress before dealing with the biggest adversity he has ever encountered in racing. 
which leaves his promising future in doubt. In Stock Car Racing Magazine around this time, the question was asked of Dad's rapid progression so far in his rookie season, to which Dad responds, I got some good experience when I started running Sportsman in 1974. I've had a lot of help from guys like Bobby Allison and Richard Petty and all. The help that everyone's given me has been much appreciated too. Then, since I got this ride with Australian Racing this year, we've been running really competitive. I don't see an end to it. We're just going to keep getting better and better, I hope. He said of his competitors in 1979, they hadn't given me any trade secrets, but they've taught me driving characteristics, things that keep me out of trouble. Then, when I get to racing with them, I watch how they race and study everything. Of Dad's goals, he says, well, I just want to keep running Grand National and winning races. I want to have a good racing career and be competitive the whole time and I want to be a Grand National Champion. We're already winning. I feel like winning the Grand National Championship should happen for me in the next three or four years. Well, good afternoon, everyone, from College Station, Texas. Barney Hall and Jackie Root ready to bring you the broadcast of the Texas 400. And Jackie Root, there's one word for the Speedway, and it's hot today. Now, the teams are coming up on race 14 of the season. This is a 31-race schedule, and we're nearly halfway through. And they're going to Texas World Speedway. Man, this place is insane. Um, if you remember on, I believe, season two of Lost Speedways, the Dirty Mo Media team went over to Texas World Speedway and got a glimpse of what was left of the racetrack. It was built in College Station, and only about half the track was left when we went out there a couple years ago. It is being fully demolished and replaced by housing development. It's a giant, giant two-mile oval, similar to Michigan, but it uh, has more banking, and with that comes a little bit higher speeds. The track held its first cup race in 1969, and it would hold its last cup race in the 1981 season. Only 11,500 spectators would show up for this failing College Station Super Speedway. Now, poor attendance like this was the reason for the struggles this track dealt with during its existence. Two-mile NASCAR ovals hardly ever fail, but this place was built in an area that was going to be a tough draw for large crowds. Sure, today, the area of College Station has grown tremendously, and likely this track could be part of today's modern NASCAR. But NASCAR was a different sport back then without a dedicated TV contract and struggling to demand attention in certain corners of the nation. Even with the size and the banking of the track, pole speeds for this event were in the range of 167 miles an hour. There have been some big surprises in qualifying, Jackie. The story has got to be the rookie crop. We've talked about it since we started racing in the Winston Cup Grand National Trail in 1979 at Riverside International Raceway. And already they've planked two of them in the front two rows. And Barney, it's going to be a tremendous race for the rookie title, but also here this afternoon. Last practice yesterday, they were going three and four abreast out of turn four, dicing it up for the lead. The rookies against some of the established superstars. Buddy Baker in the Gray Ghost with that fast rocket is going to get the pole and he's going to edge out rookie and Texas native Terry Labonte and dad is going to qualify third and Dare Waltrip would be on dad's outside in fourth position. We talked about Buddy Baker winning the pole for the race. He had Waddell Wilson as his crew chief after owner Harry Rainier mandated an enforced vacation for Herb Nabb who had been the crew chief for the team. 
Baker was incredibly fast all year long, but race after race, he was sidelined with failures and gremlins in the Grey Ghost. The fans that came were rewarded for sticking out the heat and humidity in the Texas summer. And the field is underway for the Texas 400. Buddy Baker comes up through the gears a little bit quicker than Labonte and heads off into turn one. It was an outstanding race with veterans and rookies all battling up for the lead. Labonte, Baker, Waltrip, Bobby Allison would all lead early. They were joined by Dad and Milliken midway through the race. It was a contest for the lead in turn four, Barney Hall. Indeed, Dale Earnhardt tried to sneak again inside and underneath. Darrell Waltrip, but he couldn't quite muster the horses exiting four, but there's plenty of room there, and Earnhardt is certainly trying to find a way through. Waltrip, he seemed to be the most dominant car throughout, uh, and he led 155 laps, but he had to deal with that most of the race. Whoa, trouble over in turn number three. Indeed, it's Dale Earnhardt who spins the automobile. He hits the wall once, twice, three times. The car now is up, rip riding up against the outside retaining wall, nose first into the high wall. Now and with 11 laps to go, Dad's going to crash into the wall. Now reports were that he blew a tire and lost control. Daryl was quoted as saying, Dale really made me work for it. I hated to see him have trouble. It looks like when all the seasoned veterans retire, it'll be Dale Earnhardt who I'll have to continue with. Is there an echo in here? It seems like this is like the common opinion throughout the garage every time Dad has a reasonable result. We'll hear this exact same remark nearly every time, every week. Behind Daryl is Bobby Allison in second, Buddy Baker in third, Cale Yarborough, and then Terry Labonte would get a top five finish in his home state. Waltrip would extend his points lead over Bobby Allison to 58 points. Now this West Coast swing has dad licking his wounds early. Now he'd be happy with the speed that they showed in Texas, but the crash cost him a solid result. Rookie Joe Milliken would finish seventh, and he'd also take a one-point lead in the Rookie of the Year standings. Teams would now push further west for the next event at the 2.6-mile road course in Riverside, California. After winning the ARCA 200 in Daytona in February in what was his first stock car racing attempt, and then unsuccessfully trying to qualify for the World 600 because of two practice crashes, Kyle Petty would qualify for his first NASCAR event. This would be a Grand American event held on the Riverside Road course on June 9th, and Kyle would qualify 12th for the race, and he would race as high as 6th place before experiencing transmission failure, relegating him to a 15th place finish in the order. And while Father Richard was present, to see Kyle's performance, the King was missing his daughter's graduation from high school back home in North Carolina. As we all know, racing is a lot of things, but it is not planned around birthdays, graduations, or anniversaries. Inside the cup garage at Riverside, there's going to be a few noticeable empty stalls. Among those who don't make the trip out to Riverside are Buddy Baker, David Pearson, Donnie Allison, and Dave Marcus. Baker said his team needed a breather. Donnie Allison had planned to race for the championship, but he and car owner Hoss Ellington got worn down by the schedule. Pearson, nobody has seen him since the split with the Wood Brothers back at Darlington. Marcus, he lost nearly everything in a fire earlier in the year, and he says he's flat broke and not sure when he'll return. Also, as the season wears on, drivers like Ty Scott, Jeff Bodine, and Harry Gant are relegated to sporadic appearances. 
And some of the races with smaller purses are now seeing smaller fields. We only had 28 at Nashville, 31 at Dover, and 34 at Texas. When cup qualifying is over at Riverside, there's another shocker on the pole, and it's Dad. He ran 113-plus miles an hour around the road course in his second-ever attempt at the track. Rookie driver from Kannapolis, North Carolina. Many feel he will win more than one race. He's already picked up his first victory at Bristol, Tennessee. And he's also already picked up his first bid in international racing circle. Yeah, I just talked with Les Richter the other day, and uh, I'm accepted for the IROC uh, race uh, finals, the Grand National deal up at the Mark, uh, Michigan. The runoff between the two, the four Grand National drivers is uh, advances on to the finals with the rest of the guys. And that's a great honor, you know, uh, being a rookie the first year and all, uh, being able to go into IROC. And, uh, but uh, what got me that is winning Bristol. So uh, that goes all back to the team I'm driving for. You know, they've done it for me. With his win at Bristol and his recent near misses at Charlotte and Texas, he also received an invitation from IROC's Les Richter to join that series. He'd run in one event for IROC in 1979 at Michigan later on June 16th, starting 7th and finishing 7th in a race won by Neil Bonnet. This pole position would also lock Dad into the starting field for next year's Bush Clash. Between the IROC invitation and the Bush Clash invite, Dad, he is thrilled. He reasons that even if he finishes last, in both of those races, he stands to make twenty dollars to $30,000. Big payday for Dad. Bobby Allison is going to hold off Kel Yarborough in the 105-degree weather to win the Napa 400 at Riverside. Now, how hot was it out there? Bobby Allison said that his steering wheel got so hot that he didn't want to move his hands around on the wheel. Kale had led for 61 laps, and he looked firmly in control of the race, but he lost the lead when he had to pit for a flat tire on lap 65. He was also penalized 30 seconds when he used a shortcut entrance into the pits with his flat tire. Bobby Allison's winning performance wasn't without its challenges. Early in the race, he lost the clutch and he shifted without it for the remaining laps. He'd need to be pushed off by the crew during every pit stops. What an incredible effort to keep fighting, and it pays off. Darrell Waltrip would go on to finish second, 32.9 seconds behind Bobby Allison. Darrell Waltrip was strong throughout the day, but a couple of different encounters with slower cars had him losing time in the pits with body repairs. Richard Petty would be relieved by driver Jimmy Insolo, who would help the STP team get credited with a third-place finish. Richard was suffering from the heat and dehydration when the transmission boot came loose, sending all this hot air into the driver's compartment. Insolo said the steering wheel and shifter were so hot to touch and blistered his hands. The interior of the car felt like a furnace. Kel Yarborough and Benny Parsons would finish fourth and fifth in the race. Dad's going to go on to finish 13th place. Eight laps down after suffering a series of problems throughout the race. He's going to lead two laps before his issues, but he says he spent the majority of the day doing a pretty good job tearing up the transmission. At least he had a sense of humor. But the car was also missing a few body panels after some contact with other cars on the track. With California now in the rearview mirror, the teams are going to take this long ride east to Michigan for the Gabriel 400. More Becoming Earnhardt coming right up, but first, a message from our sponsors. 
The Dale Jr. Download is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. You going to any concerts this summer, man? I am. I'm seeing a concert in June. Hardy and Kit Moore. Love Hardy. In uh, Charlotte. I was so stressed getting the tickets. I'm going to be front row. I'm, I'm in the pit. When these tickets go out, man, I am online as soon as tickets open i don't want to miss a thing yeah you, you know you gotta act quick yes and when you want the best you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead it's like if you're hiring for a business you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up mm. so what's the best way to do that zip recruiter ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates fast, and right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Dale Jr. ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. Amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash Dale Jr. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash Dale Jr. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. NASCAR history and heritage come alive at the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Celebrate my fellow inductees Donnie Allison, Jimmy Johnson, and Chad Knauss with their class of 2024 artifacts enshrined in the Hall of Honor. Don't miss the Ford Performance Showcase. It's a new inside NASCAR exhibit that showcases the Ford Mustang's next-gen car through its design and innovation. The latest edition of Glory Road explores over 75 years of racing history, with its cool 33-degree banking and 19 cars on display. On Mondays and Fridays, there's guided tours that take you behind the scenes with incredible stories and access to a NASCAR Hall of Fame insider. Or you can explore the hall at your own pace with the new mobile hub. It's a digital experience. Get behind the wheel of a realistic iRacing simulator. Or you can learn how fast-paced pit stops work with the Pit Crew Challenge. From the legends who shaped the sport to the new heroes earning a spot in the record books, the NASCAR Hall of Fame delivers an unforgettable experience. Book your visit to the hall today at nascarhall.com. Buddy Baker has become the incredible Hulk as he comes to the stripe. He leads the Gabriel 400 with Waltrip in second, Gail Yarbrough in third, and a contest for fourth between Petty and Earnhardt. In the Irish Hills of Michigan, Buddy Baker is going to lead 121 laps, and he's going to capture his second win of the season. So is the case for Buddy Baker. He continues to hold the first place. And margin. problems on Daryl Waltrip's machine. Indeed, Waltrip's 88 car having problems as smoke comes out from behind the car spins around it does the full 360 it's up in the middle of a groove it's being this race would finish under yellow after dare walter blew an engine late flag is about to come out along with a caution flag for leader buddy baker so apparently this race will finish under caution as baker comes across the stripe and gets the white flag let's follow him down into turn one baker still has hall of fame crew chief waddell wilson calling the shots this weekend for the third race in a row herb nab who had been the team's crew chief, was finally back at the track, but he's in street clothes. Team owner Rainier would not comment, but he did say the team is trying new combinations. We have the team, but we don't have the wins. We will reevaluate everything after Daytona. For the first time in a while, though, it appears that driver Buddy Baker is not the focus of any future changes. Donnie Allison is going to run second, with Kale Yarborough finishing third. Neil Bonnet, in the Wood Brothers 21 is fourth, and Richard Petty the King rounds out the top five. 
Dad would end up running sixth in this race at Michigan and ran well all the way up to the very end, but he was criticized by a number of his fellow competitors for his aggressive racing toward the end of the race. Earnhardt getting sideways in turns three and four. He regains control nicely, but he does lose positions off the number four corner. Dale Earnhardt, Jackie, almost put them all into the wall there. The rear of that car almost came around on him, and Richard Petty backed out of it and gave him a little room, breathing room. Darrell Waltrip would say, I like the kid, but he overdrives his car. He almost took us all out in the fourth turn with five laps to go. After the race, Richard Petty approached Dad, and he spoke with him privately. He actually would comment, Dale took care of me with five laps to go, and he's done that before. Dad claimed fault over the maneuver he made, explaining that he attempted to pass a group of cars in the low groove while they were all three and four abreast, and then he slid up into Bonnet, sending everyone scattering. This is the first instance I can recall where competitors were critical of Dad's on-track actions. Obviously, we all know that by like 1987, Dad's going to have quite the reputation as a rough and aggressive driver. But during those years, he was a leader in the garage, and he took no criticism from anyone. In 1979, he's a young, raw rookie getting scolded by the veterans. And this would just be the beginning of the cup regulars getting a taste of Dad's hell-bent style of driving. Before we head off to Daytona, Dad's going to write another bi-weekly column. Dad's going to say that numerous requests have been received for a continuation of his column, and he agreed to do this series actually just through Charlotte after the World 600. But now he's consented to keeping it up as close to a bi-monthly schedule as possible for the remainder of the season. Good for us. So we begin. I think the first half of the Winston Cup season has changed a lot of attitudes about the rookie drivers. Joe Milliken, Terry Labonte, and I are all fighting for the same rookie title, and we've all been doing some pretty serious racing too. A lot of folks are starting to think that maybe us young drivers aren't so bad after all. Milligan rode out from the hotel to the Speedway with me for the Michigan race, and we talked about the rookie thing. All three of us are so close in points that there's just no way to even guess what might happen late in the season. We get around about it, but we're sort of in this thing together. When any one of us three can beat the veterans, it's sort of special. It makes it easy for all of us when we do good. Talk about competition. Every time I turn around, I see Joe or Terry. Usually one or two of us wind up in the top 10 or maybe even the top five when it's over. You can't slack up for a minute. I go to every race with the attitude that I can win, maybe even qualify for the pole. These two guys are the same way. I know the fans are eating it up too because all three of us are getting a lot of calls and letters. I'm just gonna do my best and see what happens. Well, the first half of the season is over and it's back to Daytona. I think our team is ready. We won a Grand National race, sat on the pole for another, and the guys in our shop are working harder than ever. I think the other teams know we're competitive. Our team's in good shape and I'm feeling pretty confident. I think we ought to be able to win another race or two before the season's over. We're getting more horsepower and our chassis are working better. We got a new Oldsmobile that we'll run at Daytona for the first time. Equipment-wise, we're looking good for the second half of the season. Jake's got everybody working together, and there's just an all-around good attitude on the team. Everybody on the crew is putting in 100%, and I think one of the biggest surprises has been our engine builder, Lou LaRosa. 
Lou's a great young mechanic, and this is the first time he's built his own engines. He worked under Ducky Newman, MC Anderson's crew, and Robert Yates at Digard Racing, but this is the first time he's been in charge. He has really come up with the horsepower, and every time we outrun the guys he trained under, everybody on the team gets excited. I don't think Robert Yates and Ducky, even in their wildest dreams, ever thought Lou would be building engines that could beat them. There are a few other things I want to talk about before the second half starts. First, I did not have a tire problem at Texas. I cut a tire down about 20 laps from the end of the race. When I came in to change it, the air wrench seized and we didn't get the lugs tight. The loose lugs created a vibration, so I came back in and the guys tightened them up, but it was too late. The vibration caused the brake hat to break and it locked up the rear end and threw the car into the wall. It was a bad deal. 15 minutes earlier, it looked like I could win the race, and there I was against the wall in a battered car. It was about a $15,000 wreck. Starting on the pole at Riverside surprised a lot of people, me included, but I knew the car was working, and I just put two very good laps together. Then we cut another tire in the race, and it shredded and ripped out so many wires, the ignition system never did work right after that. Being invited to run in the IROC race was a big honor for me, and I did the best I could. Actually, under the circumstances, the swing through Texas, California, and Michigan was pretty good for us. I learned a lot about drafting, and I made a few mistakes, too. At least I've been to all the super speedways now, all but Pocono, and that's coming up soon. Yeah, something else happened during the swing. I went to Las Vegas for the first time. I couldn't believe my eyes slot machines and blackjack tables as far as you could see. It scared me to death. I finally broke down and pulled $50 out of my pocket and played blackjack for a long time. I guess I broke even. Then I tried the slot machine. Every time I'd get down about 20 bucks or 30 bucks, I'd start to quit and then I'd hit. I quit winning a little, but I don't think I'm cut out for that gambling stuff. It's too risky. It was good to get back home just to relax and do some fishing and it'll be good to go back to Daytona. The first national race that I ever led was at Daytona in last February's Daytona 500. We were just getting started then. We're in better shape now, so Daytona might just turn out to be good for us. As Dad talks about in that article, midway through the season in 1979 is a very special time. The return trip to Daytona was always the highlight of the summer for NASCAR fans and teams. These hotels on the beach are gonna fill up and teams and drivers are gonna bring their families in for a few days early and spend afternoons out on the beach in the sand. Now the scorching heat on race day morning was no surprise to the competition either. This race, it's routinely started at 10 a.m. just to give the drivers and teams, along with the fans, some relief from the midday heat that was sure to scorch the ribbon of new asphalt that was laid down in the offseason. Dad's comments during the weekend says it all. You're going to see a lot of people's tongues hanging out if it's this hot for the race. There has been a development in the garage area on one of the top competitors in today's Firecracker 400. For that story, let's go to the garage and Joe Alloy. Waltrip and the Digard team were penalized in pre-race inspection for being too low to the ground. They were setting the world on fire in practice, but NASCAR made them raise the car up. 
So tight has been the qualifying speeds for the last three days, the 40th position in the starting lineup barely squeezed in at just over 182 miles an hour, while Buddy Baker and Neil Bonnet, the two front row spots, both set new qualifying marks for the Firecracker 400, and a mark that had stood since 1970 and had been held by Cale Yarbrough. Buddy Baker would again set the pole speed at Daytona with a lap of 193-plus miles an hour. Kyle Petty tried to make a second attempt to qualify for a cup race, but was denied again when he crashed in turn two during his qualifying run. Here they come, 300 yards from the start-finish line. Green flag and the Firecracker 400 is underway here at the Daytona International Speedway. Getting a jump. When the green flag falls for the race, Dad is back in row 11. They had some trouble finding speed in the team's new Oldsmobile. But in the draft, the car and the driver performed to expectations. And by lap 92 of the 160-lap contest, Dad is actually going to take the lead away from Neil Bonnet. It only lasts for a lap as Neil would easily regain the lead. Dad passes Neil twice more before quickly losing the lead. Bubble over on the second corner, the car number 44 of Terry Labonte was just tapped by the car number 68 of Chuck Bound as they came through here. Bobby Allison now slides and bangs into him in the third turn. Terry Labonte and Bobby Allison would have a hard crash on lap 91, but neither driver was injured. It seems like the Wood Brothers Ford was the class of the field on this day. And Neil, he's going to lead the final 28 laps, and he's going to hold off Benny Parsons to win the Firecracker 400, his second win of the season in the Wood Brothers car. Bonnet had to negotiate a pack of lap traffic on the final lap, saying, I wasn't sure what to do. I knew Benny was right behind me, and the traffic could have played to his advantage. I saw a hole that looked big enough for half of a Mercury, so I decided to go for it. Dad would finish third, Darrell Walter fourth, and Richard Petty would come home fifth. The heat really had an effect on Dad during the final laps of the race. We've always known just how tough Dad could be. In fact, one tough customer was a campaign slogan during his Wrangler days. But on this morning, the temperatures in the car became almost more than he could bear. So much so that he briefly lost concentration and had a minor brush with the wall. We have problems, Earnhardt, up on the wall in turn number four. He comes off the banking, retains control well, but Earnhardt, a high, hair-raising ride, goes into the wall at number four, but he's back under power in front of the tower. He says, I didn't come here to run third. I came to win, but it was so hot out there, I couldn't breathe. I let the team down the last 23 laps. When the motor blows, that's tough luck, but when I give out, that's my fault. I couldn't breathe, and I finally had to pit for water. And that's when we lost the race. The heat, it was smothering me. I couldn't get my breath. The only way I could breathe late in the race was through a rag. A couple of times I thought I was going to pass out. That may have been when I lost concentration and went into the wall. Dad promised the team that he would never be the weak link again. It's fascinating to hear Dad under so much stress or duress. I've always thought of him as a driver that could overcome any kind of tough situation and even when the elements might be too much he was one to never admit it so for him to be even the least bit transparent in these quotes is fascinating to me the paycheck of 14980 bucks was dad's second highest post-race check ever and it brought his season's total earnings to $150,000 
That's going to leave Daytona sitting fifth in points. And as far as the championship battle is concerned, he thinks it'll take a lot for them to turn it around this year, but it's not out of reach for next year in this team. Darrell Waltrip now leads his closest rival, Bobby Allison, by a total of 133 points as the teams are going to head back to Music City in the Nashville Fairgrounds. I've got a lot more coming your way, but let's take a moment to hear from the people who make this possible. Picture this. It's blazing hot outside and you need to head to work. You get into your car and turn on the AC to get the cold air pumping as soon as possible, but it doesn't work. Instead, blowing hot air out of your vents and directly into your face. No, your car doesn't hate you. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the air conditioning system, and there's an easy all-in-one solution that will restore your cold air in no time. There's no need to go to the shop and pay lots of money when you can save time and money recharging yourself with AC Pro Recharge Kits. AC Pro Recharge Kits make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience. And the AC Pro app offers clear, vehicle-specific instructions to help you get the job done in less than 10 minutes. So pick up an AC Pro Recharge Kit at any store selling auto products and confidently restore your car's cold air yourself today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Back at the Nashville Fairgrounds, a familiar face would find himself in victory lane. Darrell Waltrip is going to lead all but 10 laps in this race to capture the win. And it's no surprise because Darrell started his career at the Nashville Fairgrounds and won many races there driving the short track sportsman car. It would be his fifth win of the 1979 season, and Darrell would lead the charge of Chevys that swept the top 10 spots in the race. Darrell Waltrip breaks Cale Yarbrough's dominance at the fairgrounds, saying, this is what I'd call my home track. All I've heard around home, though, is how great Cale Yarbrough is. So now maybe they'll say how great I am. Boy, doesn't that sound like DW? Cale Yarbrough would finish second. Dad's going to run third. Benny Parsons is fourth with the King Richard Petty in a solid fifth-place finish. Bobby Allison loses more ground in the points race when he is sidelined with a broken water pump. He finishes 16th, 80 laps down. We mentioned how Darrell had led all but 10 laps in the race. The only other driver to lead, young Sterling Marlin, who's driving for his father, Cuckoo, in the Cunningham Kelly number 14 entry. He would retire on lap 341 with a broken lug nut, finishing 15th. So Dad gets another top five finish, but again, on the short tracks, he failed to finish on the lead lap. He was three laps down in this race at Nashville. He's also going to write another bi-weekly article before the teams head on to Pocono. This is pulled again from the Daily Independent of Kannapolis, North Carolina. And um, we talked about the last one. He had decided that, you know, he was only supposed to do this all the way up until the World 600 at Charlotte, but he's going to continue it. So here we are. 
July 22nd, 1979, Dad begins by saying, Running the first half of the season was an education for me, and there's one big thing that I've learned. I know now why the great drivers are winning. The winners have an uncanny knack for staying out of trouble, and they run smart racers. There's one thing that they all have too, and it's determination. Look at Kel Yarborough. He can have a problem, go a lap down, and he just keeps going. Harder and harder. He can be five laps down, and he runs like he's the leader if he's not having a big mechanical issue. I'm sure that's why he's a three-time champion. Kel doesn't know what quit is. Look at Darrell Waltrip. In the July 4th race at Daytona, he got a lap down, but he never gave up. It wasn't his fault when he went a lap down, and he kept going, hard as anybody on the track. If he had found a caution late in the race, I'm not too sure he wouldn't have been right there at the finish, too. Those guys, they just keep working at it. If the car isn't right, they don't stop working until they fix it. Like Bobby Allison. He might not have the fastest car when the race begins, but sooner or later, he's usually up front. As long as it'll run, they're going to do whatever's necessary just to make it right. When you're out there running with Benny Parsons, Kale, Bobby, Donnie Allison, Buddy Baker, and Daryl, you see some bumping going on, but they're all sure of each other, and they race smart. I don't ever see them make sudden moves or take dumb chances. You never see them running with the wrong group of cars either. Oh, there isn't many wrong guns out there, but I've learned who not to race with. You've got to concentrate and be careful. I noticed A.J. Foyt at Daytona, too. He's no different than Richard or Kale. He's very smooth, and you can run with a smooth driver all day. The heat during the July 4th race was about to wipe us all out, smooth or not. It was so hot, my sweat was sweating. (laughs) It was like breathing fire. Honestly, I kept holding my breath. It was just too hot to breathe. I'd breathe on the backstretch when I could hold a wet rag over my mouth, and the rag got hot. That's what I was doing when I brushed the wall. I was trying to find a place to breathe. I would have never bet on finishing third in the firecracker race after our first qualifying attempt. I don't guess a rookie's got the right to be disgusted, but Daytona qualifying was frustrating. I had finally gotten used to qualifying pretty good, and then all of a sudden I couldn't get out of my own way. I've got to give the guys on our Australian team a lot of credit. They were just as frustrated as I was at Daytona, but they just kept working on the car. Changing this and changing that, it seemed like all we were doing was changing everything on the car over and over. Thank goodness we got everything sorted out before the race started. It wasn't the fastest thing out there when they dropped the green flag, but it was moving. It didn't take me long to jump up there into the lead draft. I stopped worrying about the car, and then I tried ignoring the heat. I don't ever want to be that hot again. Now we're off to Pocono, and that's the only speedway on the circuit I haven't seen. The first thing I'll do when I get up there is get with Richard, Bobby, Kale, Daryl, or Baker, somebody I can depend on because of their experience, and I'll go around the track with them in a streetcar. I need to find out how to run the corners, and I need to know the characteristics of the track. I'll have to spend the first day or two at Pocono doing a lot of learning and talking with the other drivers. From everything I hear about the track, I think I like it, but I want to take my time adjusting. One of the things I've noticed now that the first half of the season is over is that I've gained a great deal of experience. I can feel the car better, and I can communicate that feel to the crew. 
Every race I learn something new and that's building my confidence. That's not to say I haven't made some mistakes. I pulled a dumb move at the Michigan race. I really messed up, but fortunately nothing bad happened. Richard Petty was right there when it happened and he had a good long talk with me after the race. When those guys take enough interest in you to spend that much time talking and trying to help, it makes me feel good. Man, they could just go up to the press and say Earnhardt's a rotten driver or something, but they're interested in me enough to talk it over and they really don't have to. They don't owe me a thing. Maybe I've arrived. I sure hope so. Man, what a great article. I love reading these because I do feel like it's our best insight into dad's mind and what's going on and what he's thinking about. Um, it's interesting to listen to him complimenting the other drivers and what he notices and sees from them. Then we get to hear his own words more about the heat at Daytona, some of the things that he was trying to do, how miserable it was. And then we hear a little bit more about that mistake he makes in Michigan that ruffled the feathers of a lot of the veterans. Just really some interesting stuff. So as Dad mentions in the article, he's going to Pocono, a racetrack for the first time. Also interesting to hear his uh, attempt at preparing for that and how he'll reach out to the other drivers and get in a streetcar and go ride around with some of those legends. Wouldn't you have loved to have been in the back seat listening to that conversation? But before the teams actually go to Pocono, Bush Beer uh, is going to hold a press conference and they're going to unveil their 1980 plans. All right, Bush is spending a ton of money in NASCAR. And along with their partnership with car owner Junior Johnson and driver Kel Yarborough, they were awarding $1,000 for each pole award and $25,000 to the driver with the most pole awards at the end of the season. And they also had $150,000 invested in the Bush Clash and thousands of dollars invested in broadcasting advertisements. Darrell Waltrip was also invited to be a guest at the press conference along with Yarborough. And old Jaws, he could not help but rib Kale for not having a pole at this point in the season. A pretty embarrassing set of circumstances, to be honest with you, being that Kale is the driver of the Bush Beer car. Kale's going to win a pole before the season's end, ironically, at the very last event in Ontario, California, thus avoiding further shame from DW. Daryl must have been feeling extremely confident, considering that he had over a 200-point lead between him and the rest of the field in the championship battle as the teams headed north to Pocono. When qualifying was all wrapped up at Pocono, there was a big surprise sitting on the front row. Rookie Harry Gant had captured his first career pole with a speed of 148 miles an hour plus, and he had done this on McQuarrie tires. A lot of speculation, however, due to the fact that he is running McCreary rubber all the way around in the Race Hill Farm Chevrolet. Most of the drivers in Winston Cup Grand National Competition have opted for the more steady Goodyear tires. We've seen McCreary sit on the pole, however, back in 1978 when J.D. McDuffie became the first independent to plank one on the pole at Dover, Delaware. So it is a question mark because those tires on McDuffie's car blistered after about eight laps. Will the tires blister here today? Joe Jacobs from McCreary Tire and Rubber Company has said no. They've done their homework and they feel that they'll be able to go the distance and make tire changes much the same way the Goodyear tire engineers feel. Their tires will work, work here at Pocono as well. We've talked about this throughout the first several episodes, particularly with J.D. McDuffie having some very good runs using McQuarrie tires. But they had participated mainly in short track events this season with just a handful of drivers. But there they were, bolted on the pole-winning chassis at a speedway. 
A McQuarrie spokesman said that the company was here to stay, and they planned on bringing tires to other big tracks like Daytona, Talladega, and Atlanta. McQuarrie presented itself as a cheaper alternative for the independent drivers. This new competition it worried the Goodyear officials. They worried that a tire war would result in softer tires that would not only wear more, but also put the drivers in danger. Now, five cars were planning on going the distance on McQuarrie's at Pocono. The tires, they obviously produced more speed than the Goodyear's, but many felt that they would face many challenges with wear and blistering during the long green flag runs that often happened at the Pocono 500-mile marathons. Dad's going to qualify in third position on the inside of the second row in his very first trip to the Tricky Triangle. And the word is, there is still no Herb Nab in the Buddy Baker pit. Herb's been missing for a few weeks. After pressing for more information, it's learned that after Rainier wanted to try Waddell Wilson as the crew chief, the new combination wins Michigan, and that pretty much seals the fate of Herb Nab. Now, Rainier honored Nab's contract, and the legendary crew chief would actually end up working on some personal projects far removed from the racetrack and the race team. Nab would return to the series the following year before finally phasing out of the sport altogether. Herb Nab would end his 18-year crew chief and career with over 70 wins and two championships. Barney, we've just had been handed an updated report from the National Weather Service as it applies to the weather here in the Pocono Mountains for this afternoon. The National Weather Service has just recently revamped their forecast and they are now calling for these showers to continue until approximately 1.30 this afternoon. Heavy rain would push the start of the Sunday race at Pocono to the following day, and boy, don't I know that. I don't know how many times, I don't know if it's overcast year-round at Pocono, but it sure feels like it sometimes. And it doesn't ever sprinkle there. It's always that hard Pocono rain. Pocono events in 1979 were 500 miles. That's 200 full laps. This one in particular is going to take four hours and 20 minutes to complete. What a long race. That's why they shortened it up to 400 miles these days. Those 500-mile races were long. Earnhardt running way down low after getting way high in the turn. We've got Al Holford sideways. He hits Gary Ballou. Holford high into the wall. He hits the nose. Here comes race traffic. Hilton. Shortly after the beginning of the race, Al Holbert spun and was struck hard by Roger Hamby, causing Holbert's car to burst into flames. It's a vicious wreck and would showcase the speed and incredible dangers that lurked at every corner at Pocono. Well, after a lengthy caution flag in the beginning of the Coca-Cola 500 this afternoon, they are down to the serious business of racing. And right now, the rookie from Kannapolis, North Carolina, giving everybody a lesson here at Pocono this afternoon. As Waltrip has taken him on, Buddy Baker's had a shot at him, but nobody can do anything with him. He leads as he heads up into turn two. But throughout the early part of the race, Dad would lead multiple times. Kel Yarborough is going to win the race at Pocono, the Coca-Cola 500, by leading the final 11 laps, and it would end under caution. Oh, a lot of smoke down, a lot of smoke coming into turn three. Looks like a car has lost an engine just ahead of leader Cale Yarbrough. It cuts down to the inside, and smoke continues to pour from the machine. It is Nelson Oswald. He spins right in front. Here comes Waltrip and Petty. They stand on the brakes. Oswald to the inside. Both those cars get by. Oswald has come to rest on the grass up there. We're looking to see, and the caution is on the speedway, and this will change things. See, the caution comes out when Nelson Oswald blows an engine in the third turn. Kale had a three-second lead at the time. 
Darrell Waltrip has pitted his car, and so has Neil Bonnet. Let's go to Ned Jarrett. And they're changing the right side tires on the Pure Later Mercury, Barney. Now that we've moved into Victory Lane, we're a little bit out of sight as far as Darrell Waltrip fits are concerned, but I suppose he changed tires also. Ned, they're going to change all Darrell Waltrip and Neil Bonnet are going to pit for fresh tires in an anticipation of a late race restart that never comes. Well, they have a problem, Barney Hall. Remember, the NASCAR rules call for the fact that the drivers have to be notified with one lap to go that the green flag will be displayed. This is the white flag lap, the last lap. It will be held under caution. So therefore, this race, for all intents and purposes, is over. The slowed finish under yellow brings a loud chorus of boos from the audience. So even back in 79, they didn't like to finish under yellow. Richard Petty, Buddy Baker, Benny Parsons, and Ricky Rudd are going to round out the top five for the race. Along with being upset about the finish under yellow, a lot of fans in attendance were hoping for a very popular Richard Petty win as he was running well within the top five at the time of the late yellow. Waltrip would go on to finish seventh, and he insisted, quote, they could have given the green and the white flags together. NASCAR has done that before. Now, it's interesting to note in this race, Darrell Waltrip's not driving the Gatorade Chevy. He's driving a number 22, Al Rudd-owned entry during the race instead. You see, Darrell blew an engine and crashed the Die Guard number 88 car hard into the turn two wall in practice on Saturday. His car was destroyed and the team scrambled to find another car for Waltrip to race. It's, a, it's an excellent race car. It's a banjo car. It belongs to Al Rudd and uh, Ricky's father and his brother. And I've been looking at that car for two days, Saturday and uh, Friday and Saturday, and wondering why it was here, because Al Jr. had never driven. And uh, I kept asking everybody, I said, I wonder why that boy brought that car here. And now I know. <laughs> for you, huh? For me, unfortunately, uh, it, it's, uh, it's a super jester on those people's part to loan us the car. Digard would purchase the ride, change the engine, the rear and front suspension, and Waltrip would run up front in the car all day long. But that wouldn't calm the tension for the team after the race. The drop in positions at the finish from second to seventh place because he pitted under the final caution would cost their Waltrip 19 points. And this would become a significant deficit as the season championship continues to unfold. We mentioned Harry Gant having that great qualifying run sitting on the pole. He was competitive throughout the race on his untested McQuarrie tires. A mistake on pit road would cost the team a shot at a win, but these new McQuarrie Speedway tires made a good account of themselves. Dad's day started solidly, and we talked about him leading a lot of laps on multiple occasions, uh, but on lap 98, he just took the lead from Kel Yarborough, goes down into turn one, up onto the back straightaway. Trouble in turn two, it's... Look out, Dale Earnhardt, right below us. I slammed the wall with a blown tire. He is all the way around the wall, all the way around the second turn, and going with him, it looks like Walter. He blows the tire the going too. into the tunnel turn, and he crashes driver's side first into the turn two wall. The resulting impact would fracture both collarbones. A team spokesman would remark that the seat and the steering wheel were wrenched and bent over toward the left side of the car. When the safety crew reaches Dad, they say he's dazed, responding to commands, but he wasn't saying anything. 
We're standing outside the track infirmary here. They have brought Dale Earnhardt into the track hospital here for a checkup. He was talking to the attendants as they moved him out of the ambulance and into the infirmary now as they check him over. And we'll report back later as we learn more. But he uh, was talking to the people as they moved him inside the hospital. Dad was taken to the intensive care unit at East Stroudsburg Hospital. An attending physician would expect Dad to remain in that hospital for five to six days. And a spokesman for the Osterlin team said that Dad obviously was in a lot of pain, but he probably would be out of action for up to six weeks. Dad would actually remain in this Pennsylvania hospital till the following weekend, spending some time in the intensive care unit being treated also for a concussion. I remember nothing about this time in Dad or my life, this specific moment. But I have photos of me and Dad at his lake house on Lake Norman with us sitting on the couch and Dad in these braces that go over his collarbones. I have a picture of us sitting on his pier fishing while he's wearing these braces. Now, I was still living with my mother in 1979. Dad and her had gotten a divorce in 1978. So I wonder, maybe... This was just a weekend visit with dad, but who knows? In the pictures, he's smiling, and so am I. Even though this must have been an extremely, extremely hard moment for him in his driving career. You see, he'd finally gotten that big break. He's turning some heads with solid results, but now he's sitting on the sidelines, injured, broken, and no doubt planning a return that would likely be well before those bones would fully heal. You see, in Dad's mind, the Rookie of the Year title was at stake, but maybe even his own career. Next time on Becoming Earnhardt, Dad is forced into a spectator's role for the next few races of the 1979 season as his injuries sideline him at home for the foreseeable future. Not only does he have to grapple with the bitter reality that the NASCAR Cup circuit will continue on without him, But the Austerlin Racing Team seeks out one of the greatest stock car racers in history to drive in his absence. Suddenly, with no timetable for returning, his dream of becoming a champion has ground to a halt. Becoming Earnhardt is a podcast series by Dirty Mo Media. It is written and produced by myself, Dale Earnhardt Jr., with Bobby Marcos and Mike Davis. Sound design by Ben Potts. Production assistance by Tiff Powers. Michael Caldwell, Dustin Lee, James Brosan, Andrew Curlin, and Alex Timms. This project is in partnership with NASCAR, NASCAR Productions, and the Motor Racing Network. For full replays of classic races, visit the Motor Racing Network's website at mrn.com. Special thanks to Cadence 13 and Silver Tribe Media. For additional content on Becoming Earnhardt, including exclusive videos, Visit Dirty Mo Media's YouTube page and follow us on all major social media platforms.